Well, good morning. How's everybody today? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Congrats. I saw several people stayed up last night and still made it to church. Good job. Well done. Thanks for coming. I know it's a holiday and, you know, there's so many great temptations at home. So thanks for being here. And for those of you who are online, thanks for tuning in as well. Appreciate it. Uh, my name is Pastor Jason. I'm the lead pastor, and I'm excited to get into the Word with you. And when I say uh, get into the Word with you this morning, what I'm really talking about is one specific word. So we're going to talk about many words, but there is one specific word that I want to talk about today because there's one word that God really gave me um, a couple months ago, weeks ago now, um, in, in regards to this coming year. And so I want to share this word with you and kind of the context of the word and then kind of how the word applies um, to where we find ourselves in the book of James as we've gone through um, James together. So I want to look at this specific word and talk about the context of the word and then um, see how it fits in um, with our study. And before we get too far, let's, um, let's pray together. So Father, as we uh, discuss your word to us, um, as we open your word, the scripture, uh, we pray for your work in our hearts. Uh, we ask for it in our lives. We know that we, um, God, we can't change on our own. Uh, you are the one that transforms. Uh, you are the one that speaks. You are, you are the one that works. And, um, and yet, God, we have a, a part to play. And so we pray that you would help us. Uh, we pray that you'd help us to have ears to hear uh, pray that our hearts would be soft and moldable so that you can make us into your image, that we might become more like you because of the choice that we made to be here or to turn it on uh, on the screen this morning. Um, whatever it might be, God, we pray that your spirit would work, um, that life would happen and that we would continue uh, in the way that you have called us to go. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 All right. So the word that I want to share with you, I was actually going for a run. It's the last time that I remember kind of having this, um, you know, conscious conversation with the Lord. Um, I wasn't necessarily, you know, thinking or hoping or like, give me a word necessarily. Just was like kind of open to see what God had. When I, when I go for a run, a lot of times it's a great time to pray or listen to the Lord. There's like less distractions. I don't know about you, but you know, sometimes you can be somewhere just sitting and it's distracting, but go for a run or go for a walk or, you know, sometimes when I'm writing and just have a good conversation with the Lord. And, and as, um, as I was running, I remember like just kind of going down Alicia, coming around the corner and the Lord really spoke this word for me um, for this next year. And that word is engage, engage. Um, and, and, and the idea is of action, right? That there's, there's a there's an action to take. There's, a, there's an engagement to have. You know, a lot of people talk about different ways. Um, you know, church people talk about different ways to measure um, things. And people measure, you know, attendance and giving and lots of different things. Um, but I, I heard several people, you know, talking about engagement, and I really feel like God was saying, no, like, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what does it look like to engage? What am I, what am I being called to? Um, what are we being called to? This idea of engaging. And so the title of the message um, this morning is Time to Engage. 
I really believe it is. I'm going to kind of like, kind of walk you through this idea, but I believe it is a time to engage. It's not, it's not the same time as it has been. Right, it's a new year. It's a new time in that way. Um, a lot of you know, a, a lot of people you know have those like you know Manny mentioned like resolutions. Most people break their New Year's resolutions within weeks of uh, New Year's goals, setting new goals. But I love a new year. I love the new year. I I always find it exciting. I love that a Sunday is the first day of the new year, and um, I, I I love that because God is always doing new things. And life is full of new opportunities. Every day, there's new opportunities. There's new mercies. There's new opportunities. And I, I love that. And, and just mentally, psychologically, right, that's how our, our, our mind works is like you have a new kind of something, and then that opens your mind to new opportunities. It's like, okay, it, I, I'm not going to start that new diet, or I'm not going to start that new habit, or I'm not going to start that new whatever until the new year, and then it gives you this kind of like point to start, like like today or tomorrow, if you end up going to the gym, it's gonna be like twice as crowded than it was like last Thursday, right? Because everybody's like, all right, now, okay, now I'm, just... so it's a great point though. It's a, bra- it's a great opening, I think, for God to speak and to work in our lives, seeing a new opportunity, a fresh kind of word. And so I started thinking about this past year, Right, a lot has happened in our church and and in in life um, in this past year. And one of those things we kind of we we clarified and and, and identified really kind of pulled out uh, a mission statement. We talked about this idea of mission and 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 you know last the last couple. I don't know if you know if you're new, you don't realize this, but I've only been the pastor here for like the last nine months. But I taught the first Sunday of last year and the year before that. And, and so it's interesting to me, for me to be here now, like the first Sunday of the new year, but as the pastor of the church and have the opportunity to shepherd and love and lead and teach and just what an honor and a blessing it is. And Chad had talked about, uh, who was the lead pastor before, you know, glorifying God together in life. Um, and then as, as I started to have conversations with the elders and I started just praying and seeking the Lord, like God really um, gave direction for me of, of the, like, the, like inserting this idea of having real and right relationship, that that's really what God is calling us to. And that's what God is desiring is a real and right relationship with him and with each other. And so we talked about that pursuit pursuing real and right relationships with God and one another. That those, those dual kind of pieces of like, hey, it's, it's real. It's a real relationship. I, I have uh, an actual authentic relationship, but it's also right. It also is, is correct according to doctrine and according to scripture and according to you know, what, is, what is good. And, I, you know, I think there's such a, a, an important balance there of, of what is real, but also what is right. Because you can have a real relationship that's really a mess, right? Like, you, yeah, we have a real relationship, but it's really not that good because I don't ever relate to you in the right way. And so relating to God and to one another in a real and right way is so powerful. And then, you know, we kind of, 
talked about this, the dual pursuit of that. And so, you know, we, we like created this, uh, a logo that has like a, a real meaning behind it, a message behind it. And so hopefully anytime that you see Saddleback Mountain, you see those two peaks, you're thinking of that pursuit of that, that dual pursuit of the real and right relationship with God and others. And, and that's the ongoing conversation that we've had is like this real and right relationship, this dual pursuit. And so you see Saddleback, you can see it from all over the county. And anytime you see it, just I'm hoping and praying, and I don't know, it happens to me all the time. It's like, oh, there's Saddleback, real and right relationship with God and others. Like that's the thing. That's, that's, what, that's where we're going. And that's where God is glorified. Right, God is glorified in the real and right relationship. If you say you have a real relationship with God, but it's not right, that's such a turnoff to people, right? You're like, wait, I thought you were a Christian. Or if you talk about a right relationship, like, well, I you know, follow the rules and I do this and that, and it's like, I think it's right, but it's not real, it, it's, people are turned off by that, right? God isn't glorified unless really those two things come together, being real and right. And so that's a, big, that's a big idea. That's what we want for everybody. That's what we want for all of us. And then the other part of that is life, like living it out in the context of life because the relationship isn't just, you know, up and down and out. It's in the context of living, Right? It's in the context of actual real life when real things happen, when you're at work and when you're at home and you, know, you, you, you went over to Aunt Susie's for Christmas dinner or whatever, like that's when real life happens. And so how do we live? How do we live that life? And you know, we looked at this acronym for life and we talked about it being the wave. So you have the mountain and then you have these opportunities and opportunities are like waves, right? Opportunities come, you look in the horizon, you see a wave coming, you wanna, if you surf, you wanna ride the wave, right? So waves are just the opportunities that we have in life. So you see this opportunity. So just talking about like, what are the opportunities that you have in life? Well, one of the first opportunities is to lead. As a Christian, we follow Christ and we can lead others. Paul would say, hey, follow me, as I follow Christ. And so that leadership isn't arrogant. It's not bossy. It's humble. So lead humbly with love and truth. That's that first acronym. So in our life, we lead humbly with love and truth. As a parent, I lead my family with humility and love and truth. As, a, as an employer, I lead with love and truth and humility. Right, as a friend, I, I can lead my friends with love and truth. See, love, love is why God came, for God so loved the world. And then he gave his son, and Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So love kind of opens the door for us as Christians. Love opens the door, and then truth can come in. Love opens the door, and truth sets us free. So that's really like, that's the heartbeat. That's the, that's the hope is that you and I, whatever your context is, you're, you know, on the soccer team or in the boardroom or in the neighborhood or in the classroom that you're loving and, and you're living truth and you're leading with humility. Um, the second one is invest. 
It's investing. So invest eternally with hope and purpose. So as Christians, we're called to invest. And when we look at Christ, we can see that Jesus spent three years investing into a bunch of random guys. And those random guys began a movement, a church, that is still continuing and we're meeting and talking about today. Right? Like that was an eternal investment. He invested eternally in people. And you and I can invest eternally in people. We can invest in in movements. We can invest in the church. We can invest in ministries. Like we can invest in our neighborhood. There's so many opportunities to invest. I just wanna wanna talk about one because I think I've seen all of these things. Like I'm gonna talk about like the lead humbly, the invest eternally with hope and purpose. Like I've seen that happening in the last nine months and it's such a powerful thing. It's so cool to go, wow. Like I'll give you one example is the coffee cart, right? So somebody led with like calling for it, like asking for it. Hey, I would love to have a coffee cart. I think it would be so fun. I think it'd be a great ministry, I think. So going back to the, I forgot to read it, but it's like here, Go back to the lead one for me on that slide. We hear a call, we see a need, or we have an opportunity, right? That happens in your life. And then by faith, we step up to serve the Lord and bring the love of Christ and the truth of God's word in the power of the spirit. And so I've seen, like, I've seen that happen where people are like, hey, I could, you know, Dave was like, I could build a cart. People are like, oh yeah, I know, I can make lattes. I would love to do that. It's like, oh, great, that's awesome. Like, uh, oh, I would like to help with this or that. And then the investment, right? People help to pay for it, to buy it, to make it. But the investment is deeper than that. I don't know if you realize it, but I think it's such a cool thing that the coffee that you're drinking from that cart were from trees that we planted years ago, right? About a million trees were planted in Mexico and they're producing coffee beans. And those coffee beans are in your coffee or in the bags, and that coffee is supporting these farmers, right? These farmers now have a business and a job and an income and a stability in their life because an investment was made in trees. And these trees have produced coffee beans, and we buy coffee beans, and so do different people in the country, right? They're buying these beans and it's, and it's an eternal investment because we continue to go down there every year. And a few weeks ago, we brought the team from Oaxaca up, right? We just went down again and what are we doing? We're investing in what? In pastors, in the pastors that serve the farmers. And some of the farmers are pastors, <laughs> right? It's this, it's this eternal investment and people are getting saved and people are having families and people are supported economically. All of this because of an original investment of trees, of funds to plant trees, of people that are planting trees, of, of, of people that continue to go down. And every year we have this ministry, right? Every year we continue to invest. And that's just like a small piece of how we invest with hope and purpose in people's lives, Right, helping them. Maybe you're like, yeah, but I work, you know, I, I work at a drugstore, I work at a school, or whatever. Like, spiritual investment happens through your words, through your time, through your gifts. Like, spiritual investment happens through you when you invest 
eternally, with you, when you have eternity in mind. The F was follow faithfully with grit and grace. And I can't tell you, I'm gonna talk about this a little bit in a second, but I can't tell you how important it is for you and I as believers to follow faithfully, to follow faithfully, to not give up, to not quit, to, to not throw in the towel. And I've seen over and over so many people, like whether they're going through relationship issues and struggles in their family or cancer or you know, difficulties at work and unknown situations, and, all the, and these people just follow. Like they, they have grit. They, they're not giving up. They don't quit. But then they have grace, right? They need God's grace. They know God's grace. And, and that's, that's what we're called to do as Christians is to follow faithfully until we trust and obey. We trust and obey God daily with determination that doesn't quit and a heart that is quick to repent. Like that's the right way to follow. That's a good way to follow. It's, it's trusting and obeying. Last, last week at the Christmas Eve service, we talked about how Jesus is a king that you can trust and follow, right? That's the whole idea, trust and follow. But then the last one I think is, is, is so great. I think it's such a good word. It's enjoy. God has given us richly all things to enjoy. That's one of the scriptures that's in the wall, in the hallway, Right, that, that Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and more abundantly. Like the desire of God for your life is that you would enjoy an abundant life. So with joy and thanksgiving, how do you enjoy? Enjoy abundantly with joy and thanksgiving. We take pleasure in and give thanks for, first of all, Jesus. Right, Jesus, the son of God, the king of kings. Like we are so grateful and thankful for Jesus. And then our life and what God has given and how God is working, like all of those things. We can consistently and regularly just like rejoice and give thanks and be joyful. And it's easy like this last week, um, you know, Deborah's been, Deborah was sick, got the flu and missed Christmas. And we were, isolated. I was like sleeping on the couch for five days, like, I can't get sick for Christmas Eve service, you know, like, thankfully I didn't. But, but it was, it's kind of hard. And at one point, like, it was just kind of like a downer day. And I was like, well, let's talk about, like, what are we thankful for? <laughs> let's just, let's talk about what we're thankful for. And, and a, there's a lot of things we can be thankful for. There's a lot of things I can go, okay, I'm not happy right now, but I can have joy. I have joy in Christ. I have joy in what God is doing, how God is working. So as I'm like, just, I'm just kind of thinking about this over the last nine months and just thinking about what God is calling us to and what the opportunities are and you know, what that looks like. And I was, I was thinking about the promised land because in the Old Testament, that's where God called his people to live was the promised land. And I feel like this is where God is calling us as a church to live is, is this kind of promised land of real and right relationship. And the, and the, and the promised land, you know, if you... If you remember, it was what Abraham was promised. And then Isaac was promised. And then Jacob was promised. And none of them got to really enjoy it. They, but they saw it like from a distance. They, they believed it was gonna happen. God kept promising it over and over. And I'm promising this is gonna happen. This is the promised land. I, I'm, you're gonna have this land. They're like, okay, we're gonna have it. We don't have it yet. And then Moses brought them to it, but he couldn't enter. Couldn't like, okay, we came out of Egypt, we like, but I can't, I can't get there. 
And then Joshua led them in to possess it, but not completely. Right, and then David, he, you know, he, later he becomes this great king and he, he rules it, but not perfectly. And in the reality of life, it's not perfect, it's not complete, it's not fulfilled, but it's good. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. That's what we're called to, to live in. That's, that's where we are called. And so in the same way, like a lot of times people get confused. They think the promised land is heaven. Heaven isn't the promised land. Heaven, heaven is heaven, right? Heaven is the race is done, the reward's given. The promised land, there were still battles. There were still struggles. And you and I as Christians, we will still have struggles and battles, but we have victory. We have freedom. We have belonging. We have God's guidance and God's strength. And so in the New Testament, When we talk about the promised land, we're talking really about the life of faith for a believer, the victorious Christian life, um, some commentators call it. What it means is, what it looks like is that you and I are living in the promises of God. We're believing God's promises and living in that victory, living in that place of like, you said this, I don't see it, but I believe it. I'm walking through it. I'm obeying you in it. And I'm gonna trust that you're gonna give me the victory. I'm gonna trust that you're gonna win the battle. I'm trusting that you are faithful and then we find that he is faithful because really it comes down to what, you know, what they had was Joshua, but what we have is, is better than Joshua. We have Jesus. Now Jesus' actual name was Joshua, Yeshua. And so Jesus is the better Joshua. We have the better Moses, we have the better lawgiver, right? Moses brought the Ten Commandments. Jesus brought love, love one another. We have, we have the better patriarch, right? Jesus is better than Jacob, better than Abraham, better than Isaac. Like what we have in Jesus is better. Jesus is the better king. David, you know, this great king. Jesus is the better king, son of David. So what you and I have in Christ is a better promised land. There are battles, there are struggles, but we have a better victory because Jesus is better. Now before the promised land, if you remember that going back in the history, before the promised land, the the Jews were slaves in Egypt. They didn't even know who God was. Like Moses has this appearance of God and and he's like, who are you? (laughs) What's your name? What am I gonna tell people about you? God's like, okay, I am. I am what I am. And I'm going to reveal myself to you, the Lord. And and that was the beginning. And for you and I, we are slaves to sin. Before we have a relationship with God, we're just, we're slaves to sin in the world. And God, we don't really know God, and yet God calls us out. And, And then as they go, they go through the wilderness. And in the wilderness, they struggle. And as God calls us out, a lot of times we struggle, right? They struggled with unbelief. They struggled with sin. They struggled with fear, uh, uh, you know, apathy, immaturity, all things that we struggle with. But God would continue to lead them and he would bring them. And he had a point and a purpose. And he's like, listen, where I want to get to is the promised land. That's what I want for you. And that's what God is calling us to. God is calling us to engage 
in his mission. And that's what they were getting called to as well, was like, hey, let's move forward in this mission. Now, last year, like I mentioned, I don't know if you remember, but I taught a message called The Rope of Hope. And, we, and I, had a, I had a big rope up here, my son's like tow rope. And, and we talked about how the rope of hope in, in scripture was, is talked about as attaching to the promises of God that your hope, your biblical hope is secure and strong because of what it's attached to. That you and I, we can have hope, not like, oh, I hope it works out, but I, I have hope that is secure. It's anchored. Right, it's anchored to the promises and character of God. So we talked about this, this hope that we have. And that really, I think, that, that, was a, that was a word for the year. I wasn't the pastor even yet, but I was able to teach on that day. And that's really, I feel like, what God was speaking was hope. Because there was a lot of uncertainty. It was like, Chet was leaving, what's gonna happen? Where are we going? But we could hope in the Lord. And we put our hope in him. And, and we've seen God's faithfulness, right? But then, as I was thinking about this word engage, I was realizing that engage is action. And, and that God gives us hope, not just so that we're hopeful, but so that we can be helpful. You see, we have hope, but our hope has a purpose, and that purpose is to help. So even in, the, in that illustration with the rope, that tow rope, I was like, hey, Danny, can I borrow your rope? He's like, oh, I let my friend borrow it. I was like, really? What, do you, what is his friend gonna do? His friend's going off-roading and needs a rope to help him or to help other people, right? That's the idea. And, and I was like, okay, so the, the hope that you have isn't just to have hope. The hope that you have is to give help. And so even with a tow rope, what do you do? You secure it, and then you tie it to somebody else, and you give it to somebody else, and you help them get unstuck. There's a lot of people in this world that, are un- that, that need to be unstuck, right? There's a lot of people that are stuck. They're stuck in their sin. They're stuck in their depression. They're stuck in their difficulty. They're stuck in, stuck in their hopelessness, and you have hope, and you can help because God has helped you, because God has given you hope. See, we're living in a very different world, right? I don't know if, you, if, you, if you're aware of this, but Coast Hills as a church, this building, as a building, is gonna be 30 years old this year, celebrating 30 years of ministry here in this building. That's powerful, right? That's an amazing legacy in our community. But our world is a different place than 30 years ago. Our world is a different place than it was three years ago, <laughs> Right? If, you, if you look back and go, okay, where are we as a country? We're in a very different place. Where are we as a community? But I believe that this is the time to engage. Because of where we are and because of what's going on around us, this is a time for Christians to engage, to not be distracted. Not just like, oh, I have hope and I'm good, but to help. But to use the rope that we have to help those that are stuck. I'm gonna give you a couple, a few statistics that I found that were interesting. You know, if you remember uh, 2020, everybody had vision. Do you remember that? Like 2020, vision for this and vision for that because 2020 vision, right? Every, 
right? You're with me. And then, like, everybody just was blinded, <laughs> right? Like, you think you have vision, you, you see nothing. You've got a black eye. <laughs> you can't. You have no idea what's going to happen. And now, three years later, we're in a different place. Culture is in a different place. Our society is a different place. But God is the same. God is the same God. He's the same yesterday. He's the same today. He's going to be the same this year. He's faithful. He's seeking the lost. He's looking to help. He's wanting to save. So in 2000, this is where the the statistics found. I I, I couldn't find the 30 years before, but 23 years before. In the year 2000, 45% of Americans said they were practicing Christians. 45%. So just under half of Americans were saying they were practicing Christians. And and what that meant was um, they called themselves a Christian, they strongly prioritized faith, and they regularly attended church, right? So that's the measuring. It was like, okay, are are you a practicing Christian? That means you regularly go to church, you prioritize your faith, and you say you're a Christian. 45% of America 23 years ago said that. In 2020, uh, this was when the last kind of statistics were given. In 2020, it was 25%. In 20 years, our community, our culture, went down 20% as practicing Christians. Now, what happened? Right, like what's happening in this world? It, did 20% just die? Like there were 45% Christians and now every. No, they left. They fell away, they walked away. They were misidentified themselves. I don't know. That's a crazy statistic. This isn't the time to just be like, all right, whatever happens, this is the time to engage. 45% to 25% in 20 years. You know what went up though? Almost doubled? Atheists and agnostics. So an atheist is somebody who says, I don't believe in God of any kind. An agnostic is somebody who says, I'm not sure. So the people that aren't sure and the people that say there isn't any, they went up from 11% in 2000 to 21% in 2020. And now we're not even talking about 2023, right? We don't, like the whole pandemic, who, how did that happen in the church? How did that affect people's faith? Like, that's not even a statistic that's measurable, I guess, yet. But that's a huge change. And yet, people still need Jesus. People still need to be saved. People still need to know that God loves them and came for them and died for them and rose again so they could have life. You and I, we need to engage. If you have hope, you need to use your hope to engage, to help. The other statistic that I thought was interesting um, there was a question about religious affiliation. So what, what is your religious affiliation? Now, this isn't even practicing, right? This is not even practicing. This isn't I'm saying I'm a Christian. It's just like I affiliate, I you know, connect with being a, a believer. 5% said in 1972, so when I was two, 5% said, I don't have any religious affiliation, only 5%. That means 95% of America said, hey, we have religious affiliation. We're religious in some way or another. 
In 2022, so just this last year, it's nearly 30%. 30%, that's almost one third of the country say they have absolutely no religious affiliation. That's crazy, right? That's a, that's a crazy statistic. We're not in the same place that we have been. And yet, God is the same God he has been and has the same desires and is seeking to save the lost and wanting to help the hurting. Like, God is the same. And I think, you know, the world is hungry for hope. And our communities are looking for connection. And those are the kind of things that you find in Christ. Those are the kind of things that Jesus brings so then, I, so then I looked for the word engage. I looked for the word engage in the Bible. I was like, this doesn't really sound like a Bible word that much. So where do you find engage in the Bible? In the New King James Version, it only appears once. So I was kind of curious. I was like, all right, what is, what is this occurrence? And it's in Deuteronomy chapter two. I'm gonna put it up on the screen for you. Deuteronomy chapter two, verses 24. Now here's what's interesting to me. Right, like I'm thinking about the promised land. I'm thinking about Joshua. I'm thinking about what God's, you know, calling us to get into the promised land and living by faith and having victory. And I think engage, the first time it appears is in Deuteronomy. Well, Deuteronomy is before they get into the promised land. It's actually right before they get into the promised land comes Deuteronomy. So verse 24 says, it's God speaking to his people. It's God's message to his people. And he says, rise, take your journey and cross over the river Arnon. Look, I have given into your hand Sihon, the Amorite king of Heshbon and his land. Begin to possess it and what's the word? Engage him in battle. So the first time that God speaks engage here in this in this and this version is right before the promised land. Now, the, the thing that's interesting about this is this, the promised land is on the other side of the Jordan, west of the Jordan. They're gonna cross the Jordan River to get into the actual promised land. But before they get in the promised land, there's east of the Jordan, and that's where Sihon is. That's where this king is. And so what happens is as they're coming out of the wilderness, they're coming you know, from Egypt through the wilderness, they're coming, they're right about to enter the promised land, God gives them some practice. He's like, listen, before we go into battle, let's have a couple practice battles here on the east side. Let's, let's establish a good foundation so you know people can't attack us from the rear or something like. And so he's like, listen, the first one, engage. This is the first battle. Let's engage in this battle. I'm gonna give you the victory. And sure enough, that's exactly what they do. They rise up, they cross over, they take action, they engage in this battle, and they find that God gives them victory. And then, then another, and then another, right? What's happening? Their faith is being built. They're engaging and finding God faithful. They're engaging, they're obeying, and seeing that God is with them. And people hear about it. Interesting thing is, I don't know if you remember when we were talking last, week, last year about the idea of this rope of hope. One of, the, one of the things was we talked about this woman in the Old Testament. She's in the line of Christ. Her name is Rahab. 
And Rahab lived in Jericho and, and, and she took the spies in and she hid them. And the spies said, listen, when we come in to conquer, we will spare anybody that's in this place. So you stick this red cord out and we talked about how that's the rope of hope. Her hope in that rope, that cord was symbolic, right? So she has this hope. Why does she has, have this hope? Well, if you look back at Joshua, you'll see why she has this hope is because she heard about this battle. She actually quotes this. She actually says this. She's like, well, I heard about how you guys defeated Sihon. This first battle that they were in, engaged in became the reason that Rahab had hope. You see, when you engage and God shows up, other people around you get hope. They're like, wow, I know what that person walked through. I know what that person is like. I know what's happening in their life. And how are they doing that? I want to know about that God. That's what Rahab was saying. She's like, listen, I heard about you guys. I know about that battle. Like, tell me. And the spies were able to tell her. And she ends up becoming part of the nation and in the genealogy of Christ. Is that crazy? And, and it all comes back to hope. It all comes back to their engagement, to their obedience. See, the, the promised land, it had giants. It had strongholds and, and battles, but God was faithful. And you're going to have battles and you're gonna face giants, but God is faithful. And what you and I are called to do is follow. We're called to obey. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone that follows, not just believes. Sometimes we think, oh, I believe. Like, yes, believe, please but then follow, follow what he's calling you to do, follow where he's telling you to go, follow his word. A disciple follows. And when we talk about a disciple, like really our goal for discipleship is that you would live out that life acronym, right? In your pursuit of him, in your discipleship of him, that you would lead humbly, you would invest eternally, Right? You would follow faithfully. You would enjoy abundantly and that people would see Christ in you and working in you. So the promised land is a challenge, but it also is an opportunity. It has responsibilities and it has opportunities. See, because when they were going through the wilderness before the promised land, like manna would just show up every day, right? Double before the Sabbath, they would just go outside and then there were, you know, there was a cloud and there was a fire at night and it was like, wow, we're just like, we're just taken care of. And when they got into the promised land, guess what? It stopped. They're like, hey, we're kind of hungry. And he's like, go, go plant some food, <laughs> start a garden. It's like, well, it's a little bit hot out here. Like, well, why don't you make a roof over your head? <laughs> right, you got to build something. You got to plant something. Well, what are we supposed to do? Well, like live your life. And, and so uh, you plant the food, but you own the land. You fight the battle, but God gives direction and strength. You, you live your life, 
but you belong. You have family, right? You, you, you have freedom. And that's part of living in this promised land. That's part of what God is calling us to engage into. So now I'm just gonna wrap up with the book of James. So how does this fit? And it's so interesting because it really fits. It, it really kind of like all comes together right where we left off before Christmas and right where we pick up here is in verse 22, the book of James. So we've talked about the word engage. We talked about the context of this word. And now I wanna see how does this idea of engage fit with James? Verse 22, we'll put it up on the screen for you. It says this, but be, what's the word? Doers. See, that's engagement, that's action. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be what? Blessed in what he does. You see, the blessing of the promised land is in the doing, not just the believing. Jesus gave that example to his disciples and he washed their feet. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he said, hey, blessed are you when you do this. I've given you an example to follow. The action is where the blessing is. And if you find like, man, I don't feel like the blessing of God. I'm not experiencing God's blessing. I I don't really know what that's like. Ask yourself, are you following? Are you doing what you've heard? And James says like, listen, if you you are a if you're not doing what you're hearing, then, you, then you're like a guy who like goes and looks in a mirror and then forgets. See, because a mirror gives you information, right? So I brought a mirror up for me, for you, with me today, so you can see, see the mirror, get a little shine. This mirror is actually the mirror that I use when Deborah cuts my hair. Deborah cuts my hair all the time, and she gives me this mirror, and she's like, how's it look? And I go, mm. It's all right, I think. A little shorter, a little longer. Oh, snip that. Oh, careful. Right, what, if, if she gave me the mirror and, and I knew that it was like wonky, one time for Thanksgiving, when we first were married, I got the worst haircut. It was horrible. I didn't have a mirror. She just was like, uh-oh. I was like, uh-oh, don't say uh-oh when you're cutting my hair. <laughs> right, you have a mirror, you got to use the information. When I was working at Calvary Chapel at the schools, um, I went up in the sanctuary. We were having an event. First time I went up there, and there's a green room. And, and right before you come around the stage, there was a giant mirror. And I used to, uh, first time I walked by that, I was like, that's weird. It's kind of vain, right? Like giant mirror, like what I got to look. And then I was doing events, I was speaking, I forget what, I was coming around the side, and, and I was like, okay, I'm good, right? Like, what, why? Well, let's just be real, like, one of the worst things you can do when you come stand up here is have your fly down. Like, I gotta make sure, like, is my zipper zipped? Do I, is my hair wonky somewhere? Do I got something in my teeth? Not because I'm main, but because I care about you, because I know that, that if I come up here, 
you're gonna be not hearing a thing, right? You're just looking like, is that cilantro in his teeth? <laughs> right, like, does he know that his hair is like, oh, his zipper's down, oh my gosh. It's... Right, like, it's a distraction. When I don't take the information and apply it, I become a distraction. People can't see Christ. People don't hear Christ. They just see me. So for a mirror to do any good, you have to apply the information that you have. And for the Bible to be any good, you have to apply the information that you have. You have to be a doer, not just to hear. And that's what James is saying. He's like, listen, don't just, don't just listen. Apply. Don't just hear, do. A lot of times people think that Bible is only good for hearing, but it's doing, it's meant to be done. It's meant to be obeyed and acted upon. So there's a couple other scriptures I wanna give you kind of real quick because engage comes up in a few other versions. I was like, all right, so what about NIV, ESV, a couple different versions? Here's one, Exodus 31.5 in the NIV. It's talking about building the tabernacle. And it says, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. So you have to know the work, but you have to do the work, right? Then the next one, it's Titus, Titus chapter 3, verse 14. So in the NIV, it says, our people must learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. So what's he saying? He's like, you've got to see the needs, but you've got to learn to meet the needs. You've got to learn to engage. And then the last one is in Luke chapter 19, verse 13. Jesus is telling a parable of the talents, and he says, calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas or talents, and he said to them, engage in business until I come. You know the business. You need to get busy. Right, that's what God is calling us to. Now, I don't know what this is gonna mean for you personally. I don't know how God is gonna speak to you individually, specifically, I, I'm not sure. But I can tell you what I pray corporately. Corporately, my prayer is that you and I would engage in the mission. My prayer is that you and I wouldn't just be hearers, but doers, that our church would be known not just as those who know, but who do, right? Who love in word and action. That's what I'm praying. That's what I'm hoping. That's what I'm seeking, to looking for ways to engage. Now, Here's the, here's the last thing that I want to talk about. I'm going to have the worship team come up here in, in just a second. But um, sometimes before you can walk, you need to crawl, right? Before you can run, you need to walk. There's a, there's a process. And, and some of us as disciples, maybe you don't feel like you have the strength to help. Maybe you don't feel like you have a secure hope yet. Maybe you don't have the consistency or the fitness, spiritually speaking, so I came up with this little acronym. I was, I've been reading this book about discipleship this last couple weeks. It's called, uh, I think it's called No Silver Bullets. And, and he, he talks about this discipleship study that was done and how um, certain things that you do will strengthen the outputs that you have. 
right? Like if, if you want to grow as a disciple, they, they did a study of thousands of people and it's like, these are the things that you do consistently that are going to help you to be a better disciple, more like Christ. You're going to actually be able to live out these things. So I put a few of them together. I made a little acronym for you and it's CRAWL. So the CRAWL pursuit, right? If you don't have, you're like, I don't have any New Year's goals. What I got one for you, okay? Take a picture, right? Is it up on the screen? Yep. So here it is. Confess your sin and needs. A lot of times, I'm going to be honest, I don't know about you, but I forget this one. I just go right into my needs. I don't confess my sin. But confession brings humility and vulnerability and openness. So confess your sin and needs. Second one, read God's word and write down your thoughts. This was one of the most important variables in the study they did. They're like, man, the people that read the Bible, far and away, on their own, not just on Sundays, read God's word and write down your thoughts. Writing down my thoughts changed my life as a Christian. Read and write down. What is God speaking? What are you seeing? What are you hearing? Third thing that they talked about being key was attending. They're like, yeah, online is great, but attending. Like, I'm stoked, people that are online, thank you. But attending, one way or another, connecting. So whether it's a small group or a large gathering, make it a priority to attend because you can't minister to to people if you're not there to minister, right? Like, people don't get the benefit of your love and care when you're not there. And I know there's always times we can't be, and I get that. But do what you can to attend, Join a small group with the guys. Join the small group with the women. Join a life group. Like, look for ways to attend. You will reap benefits. Fourth one is worship. Worship God. We're gonna worship God in just a second. Worship God spiritually. The Bible actually says, Jesus is like, I'm looking for people to worship in spirit and in truth. Begin to make worship a practice. And then the last one is look. So look for life opportunities and then take them. Look for life opportunities. Look to give somebody, maybe it's just a smile. Maybe it's hello. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's a gift. I I don't know. But when you look, you can find them. So right now, the worship team's gonna come up and we're gonna end in a couple songs. Um, We're gonna have communion, but we're gonna have a couple songs. So what what I want to provide this morning is a little bit longer time to reflect a little bit longer time to respond. So if you wanna come up for prayer, come up for prayer. Um, if you just, if you wanna write down maybe, what is God speaking to you? Write it down so you don't lose it. Like, let's take a minute and let's reflect. Part of that reflection this morning to begin the year is we wanna have communion. We wanna reflect on how Christ came and lived and died and gave us his life. And, and so communion is there. If you're a Christian, it's for you. If you're not a Christian, then put your faith in Christ today. Because the bread is a symbol of the body of Christ broken for you and me. And the juice is a symbol of his blood shed for your forgiveness and mine. And so anytime during these two songs, go and have communion, reflect, pray, um, Let the spirit of God speak to you. I'll come back up and we'll close uh, together. But now let's worship. Let's take communion together.
thankful how thankful are we that the battle belongs to the lord right amen that his is the victory ours is the faith his is the victory all all you have to do is take the steps all you have to do is be willing to try it out you 
you may fail, it gives you another chance, right? You're not really failing, you're just learning. <laughs> All right, let's try this, let's try that. Here's the thing, though. I think a lot of times there's a certain amount of fear, a certain amount of insecurity, a certain amount of apprehension that we have about engaging. I'm, I'm going to tell you, when God spoke this word to me, I was like, oh, engage in what? <laughs> like, what does that mean? I don't want to be out of my comfort zone. There is no growth inside the comfort zone. God will push you to uncomfortable places. God will bring uncomfortable situations, but those are just an opportunity for God to be faithful and to show up and to show off and to bring glory. So trust him. Don't be afraid. Don't be worried. He's good. He's good and he's with you and he's for you. That's my prayer for you this week and this year is that you would engage in what he is calling you to be in what he is calling you to do. So I'm gonna close. Um, I'd love to pray for you. And if, if you want to open your hands and just receive what God has for you, um, if you wanna just join me, let's, let's close in prayer this morning. Father, God, we open our hearts and our, and our hands um, to receive what you have what you desire to do. Um, Lord, we want to, we want to be doers, not just hearers. We want to take your word home and apply it in our life and see it bring victory, see it bring peace, sing it, see it bring healing. So we pray that you would fill us with your spirit. We pray that you'd give us eyes to see and a heart that's tender to feel how you are moving, ears that are open to hear how you are speaking. God, that we would be aware and awake and shining a light that you've given us and sharing a word that you have showed us, being the body that you've called us to be for your glory and for your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks so much for coming. Happy New Year. We'll see ya. And prayer.